You are listening to The Dr. Kinney Show, and I'm your host, Erin Kinney, a naturopathic doctor and speaker who's passionate about teaching you how to understand what is happening in your body, why your body is reacting the way it is, and how to make the appropriate changes in your life to get your body back into balance. Something I've learned from my private practice is that the more patients know about their health, the more likely they are to make better diet and lifestyle choices, which ultimately leads them to a faster recovery. Each week, you are going to learn actionable tips, tricks, and teachings from myself, along with the help of top experts in the holistic health community, so that you can make better informed decisions about your body and your healthcare. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Dr. Kitty Show. This week, I'm really excited. I have Dr. Kristen Krotz. She's an audiologist. She's been in this field for over 29 years, and she is going to be chatting with us today about hearing loss and how it relates to dementia. And she's got tons of amazing information, and I think this is a really great topic, and I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you for being with us today. Absolutely. So yes, thank you for that introduction and for inviting me today. So I first, I want to just explain that I come from a family with deafness. So my perspective and how I came into the career field for audiology was through deafness in my family. And so that kind of gives you a little bit different perspective when you go into the field. And I spent my first 15 years working in ear, nose and throat. And then the remainder of my career has been in private practice audiology. I specialize in diagnostics and treatment of hearing loss, dizziness, vestibular, as well as tinnitus. So today's discussion is going to be on hearing loss and incident dementia and how those two are related and what we're learning about that. So I thought maybe what we would get started with first was just a brief overview for your listeners about hearing loss and what are we talking about? So there's three different types of hearing loss. Just basically, you've got either outer hearing loss, which would be something as simple as a plug of wax, something obstructing the ear from getting the sound. And then you've got middle ear congestion or fluid, like a lot of children can get. There could be problems with the middle ear bones, but anything that would be impeding the sound from propagating through the system or not letting it get to the inner ear. And then the inner ear is composed of your sense and organ, which is referred to as your cochlea. It's like the taste buds on your tongue. You've got sweet and sour and salty on your tongue, and you have bass, mids, and treble in your ear. So once the signal gets into the inner ear, that's where some permanent hearing loss can occur. We call that sensory neural hearing loss. If it's in the outer or middle, we call it a conductive or treatable hearing loss. But the more permanent hearing losses will involve the cochlea, the nerve of hearing, and on into the brainstem structures. So that's really what we're going to be talking about today, those parts of the hearing loss and how it impacts your brainstem. Cool. Thank you for that breakdown. That was, that was great. Yeah. So the, the permanent hearing loss stems from the damage to the cochlea. And damage to the cochlea can come from a variety of sources. It can come from just your normal aging degenerative hair cell loss which starts at the ripe young age of 28 and progresses throughout lifestyle. And 80% of individuals over the age of 80 will have hearing loss. So eventually, if we all get there to be an older person, we will have hearing loss. I want to just pause you there for one second. Yeah. So it starts at age 28. Yes. I think that's really important for us to just like everyone who's listening. Yeah. Most of you guys are probably 28 or older. Right. So hearing loss is starting a lot earlier than probably most of the general population is realizing. Exactly. I just wanted to, I wanted to highlight that that's, yes. you know, that's, that's a pretty, 
So, and as it's related to the topic that we're talking about, you know, you need to start doing preventative things earlier than many people think, right? Exactly. And we're going to talk about that exact point a little bit later when we start to talk about dementia and what the Lancet dementia risk factors has been finding over the last several years. We'll get into a little bit more of that too, as it applies to dementia specifically. Perfect. But getting back to that cochlea and the nerve of hearing, you're getting up then into the brainstem structures. So in the statistics for incidence and prevalence of hearing loss in the U.S. population, you're looking at 48 million Americans with hearing loss. One in five are a candidate for treatment through hearing aids, and 80% can be treated with hearing aids. So when you think about the medical model that has proceeded in this country, most people, when they had hearing loss, they ran to the ENT. But your ear, nose, and throat doctor plays a very important role, and they only serve the 20% of the surgical and medical, meaning medication, interventions. The 80% of the hearing loss is hearing aids. It's treated with hearing aids. So, you know, when you think about that, the, the medical model is getting flipped. Medicare is wanting their Medicare beneficiaries to have preventative health and wellness. And again, that's what we're talking about today is that we want people to stay healthy longer. We want their cognitive brain stems to be stronger and healthier longer. We want these modifiable, modifiable risk factors to be able to be implemented sooner so that we can all live healthier. So that, that's really what we're talking about there. So in addition to that, 50 million Americans suffer with tinnitus and 90% of those have hearing loss. So again, you know, the prevalence is pretty high on that. Then let's now move into, if you're ready, into the brain and just a basic overview now of the brain. So obviously we all know that the brain is our engine. It is the control center, the sensory input from, you know, our sight, smell, taste, and hearing is regulated by what the brain decides to do with that. So you put your hand on a hot burner and that sensory pathway tells your brain, ouch, and your brain tells your hand to lift it back up off the burner. So that's essentially what happens with the brain. Well, the brain is doing the exact same thing with the auditory neural pathway. So if you have hearing loss and you think about your your hearing ear as a piano keyboard where you have your left hand on your bass keys and your right hand on your treble keys. And if you just gently touch those keys, but not hard enough to ever make sound occur, then your brain is sitting idle and it's not getting properly stimulated. So you have to play that piano keyboard keys every day. You got to hit them. As you go through that normal aging process and as those cochlear hair cells start to wear down, whether it's from your normal degenerative aging process or other things, genetic disposition for hearing loss, noise exposure is a huge one. Um, no matter what the problem is that caused your hair cells to not work, you now have to hit them a little bit harder. And so what happens is if your nerve of hearing isn't being activated, then your brain is sitting idle. And that's where we know the cognitive load is starting to impact the brain from the hearing loss. So it's a use it or lose it kind of system, right? When we talk about the brain, we talk about your brain reserve. And these are terms that maybe your listeners are not as familiar with, but brain reserve, cognitive reserve, and mild cognitive impairment or early onset dementia. So some of the brain reserve things that you want to think about is that that's more of like your hardware, okay? Your cognitive reserve is your software. 
So within the brain's reserve, you will have things that you're born with that you can't do anything about. It's going to be your brain size, right? It's going to be your head circumference, which is why as a pediatric doctor, you're always taking the brain circumference size. These are things that are important. Your neural count, how dense are your synaptic junctions? So all of these things are kind of what you're born with, and that's your brain's hardware. We refer to that as brain reserve. And you will tap into your brain reserve to get things done. If you are born with a small brain and, you know, for some reason in your development, you will have learning disabilities or, you know, these sorts of things. So the brain hardware is important, but equally, and actually they're starting to find more importantly is your cognitive reserve. And this is what has become a big topic since the mid 1980s. And so as we have our aging population, mainly our baby boomers, knocking on the door of our aging process, we are demanding more help in making sure that our brains are healthy as we get to this point. So cognitive reserve is referred to as your brain software. So the hardware is what you're born with, software is what you do with it, right? What you put into the system. So if you think about it, when you're putting things into your cognitive reserve, Throughout your entire lifetime, it's going to impact how well you do when insult and injury starts to occur. So if you give children access to education, that is the largest early life modifiable risk factor is education. In midlife, the largest modifiable risk factor is hearing loss. So again, very easily treatable. And then there's a whole host of modifiable risk factors that we can talk about if you'd like to. But basically, when you load your brain with plenty of cognitive reserve, you want to think about it like you're putting gas in your car's tank. You're filling your reserve with the ability to handle injury as that injury occurs, whether it's you slipped and you hit your head on the ice, you got a concussion whether you were in a car accident, whether you suffered just normal aging dementia, whether you were a heavy alcohol drinker or smoker, you know, what happened to you that now you're struggling with dementia, right? And those sorts of problems. So the cognitive reserve helps you through those events. So that's what we're talking about there. With hearing loss, what's happening is we're putting an impact on our brain's ability to actually get the job done when we communicate. So when the hearing ear doesn't deliver the signal to the brain, the brain is going to feel the stress of the hearing loss. And we do refer to that then as cognitive load. And cognitive load is causing dementia. So there's our big circle, you know, of how the ear impacts the brain and how we're really encouraging patients to have their baseline audiogram. Medicare, as our main insurance for our beneficiaries of the age population 65 and older, has really come from an end-of-life reactionary insurance to a preventative health and wellness. So your physician, he or she, should be screening your hearing. They should be screening you for vision and diabetes and dementia, and they just cannot screen you sufficiently for dementia if they haven't ruled out potentially hearing loss. Yeah. Yeah, which is so interesting and so, so important because how many people are getting their hearing screened at regular physicals? How often does it happen? Not often Not, enough. I mean, you're, you're, yeah, I mean. Not often so, enough. So, I mean, so talk to me a little bit about people that are coming to your, how old are most people coming to you needing hearing aids? Are they beyond the place where they should have started with the hearing aid? 
I would have liked to have seen a baseline sooner, to be very honest with you. Mm -hmm. It's nice to be able to track the progression. It's nice to be able to look at the word understanding scores. It's nice to be able to see the sentence and noise testing because that's a test of central function. It tells how a patient is doing with extracting speech from background noise, which is a central brainstem phenomenon. It's not just an ear thing. So looking at the numbers and being able to track and have these conversations with people to say, you know, are you still smoking? Because one of my measures is I'm supposed to ask people if they're smoking. Yeah, That's a topic uh, that we're supposed to, to talk to them about. You know, we're supposed to talk to them about their risk of falls. The fact that with even 10 decibels of hearing loss, they have a threefold increased risk of falls. So falls prevention is huge. Yeah, so definitely would, would like to see more physicians doing baseline diagnostic testing at the Welcome to Medicare age 65. So at 65, so not earlier than that. Do you think it needs to be done earlier than that? You know, I think only if you start having symptoms earlier. Of healing loss, yeah. You know, and if you wanted to, so much of what we do is governed by insurance. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, which is. A lot of times insurance won't let you get to the doorstep unless you have tinnitus, dizziness, or perceived hearing loss. Gotcha. But if someone was wanting to pay out of pocket, if someone has a history, because I get this question a lot. Sure. Hey, I've got a family history of dementia. What can I do? What is the best preventative thing I can do? And obviously I'm really aware of supplement wise, you know, what we could do, but mm -hmm. this feels to me that it's a bigger impact on your, you know, risk factor for developing dementia. Yeah. Is that, am well, I it's actually, it's very interesting that you've asked that because the Lancet study that does talk about these risk factors and dementia and a study that I was reading out of Columbia University's Irvine Medical Center actually shows that the greatest shift in dementia occurs just 10 decibels outside the normal hearing range. So we're talking about mild hearing loss. Wow. Yeah, that's when we see the greatest impact or the greatest change in our cognitive ability is at that early phase. And a lot of times the audiogram just doesn't even show it unless you delve deeper into your outer hair cell function. You may not even see it. So you may not example, even know that you're yeah, having so, mild hearing loss. Yeah. So, for example, I can put a patient in the booth and I can just do a pure tone audiogram and they can look completely normal. But then if I do a, a cochlear outer hair cell dysfunction test. They'll be completely gone, which are the, your, your preamplifiers, which tells me you already have cochlear loss starting, but you're still able to dig out a normal audiogram in the booth. So changes huh. are already happening. Changes are yeah. already happening. And, and in your analogy with the software hardware, software is not functioning properly, right? So the Correct. brain's not getting that input. Right. So yeah, so the, if the brain's not, it's not getting stimulated. Yeah. But you, you may not start to see signs of that brain-wise for later on, correct? Right, right, exactly. And you know, they, they also talk about all the different things help to keep that cognitive reserve full. And so they talk about like engaging in stimulating activities, right? Learning another language, even if you're 70 years old, you know, hop on up to your local community college and take a non-credit course, right? You know, if you haven't ever played a musical instrument, go ahead and pick one up. Who knows? Maybe you'll be really good at it. But, or if not learning to play a musical instrument, maybe just listening to classical music leisure activities, socializing. They put a lot of emphasis now on the impact of socializing. Yeah. Interesting. Health and nutrition, obviously, yeah. you know, are, are big and sleep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So those are the big ones, right? Yeah. And within the health and nutrition, it falls the hearing loss, untreated hearing loss. Yeah. So one in one in five have treatable hearing loss and yet don't move on to hearing aids. So I want to bring to everyone's attention another aspect of Another good thing that's coming down the pike, 
back in 2015, when I was sitting on my American Academy of Audiology's Coding Compliance Committee, I had the pleasure of reading before publication, the PCAST, which is the President's Council on Science and Technology. And that was in the Obama administration. And what they did is they, they gave the FDA a directive that said, hey, we've got baby boomers coming. We've got hearing loss coming. We don't have enough money in the reserve to put a benefit out there for hearing aids. But what we want you to do is create a new classification of FDA devices for an over-the-counter option. Okay. Wow. So in the Trump administration, it was actually signed into legislation. And now in the Biden administration, he's saying, hey, I know COVID slowed us down, but we need to get this rolling. So he's pushing for an implementation date of September of 22. So we should be having another very affordable option for people in this earliest phase of hearing loss, right? So treatable. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. you just answered my question that I was just about to ask. I was going to ask like, what do you do for these people that are in this early stage? So this would be the option. This would be an option. So they could go and get it over the counter. Yeah, this is coming. Is it, is it a wearable device? Yeah. We don't know anything about what they're going to look like. Yeah. I mean, the industry, you know, since I've been at this, they, hearing aids were analog when I started and we had 22 manufacturers and we're now down to what we call the big six, which is really just the big four. And we're fully digital, Bluetooth, rechargeable, just absolutely fantastic. But the over-the-counter, we just don't know what they're going to look like because we do have categories already of what we call PSAPs or personal sound amplifying devices. We have hearables, which obviously everybody walks around with iPod earbuds hooked up to cell phones. So we're already moving in, in the that direction. direction of auditory stimulation, right? Yeah. Correcting the, the weakness that the ear is starting to experience from that ripe young age of 28 on and through life. Yeah. So, so question about, you know, the AirPods, you know, you've got the AirPods Pro to get in there. Is that pot, like if you're wearing those in your thirties, is that going to be positively yeah. impacting? Or if, if you're listening to music too loud, could that be damaging? What, where's the sweet spot in that? Yeah. It's a, it's a fine line. It's a slippery slope. You're exactly right. So a lot of teenagers, 12% of our national teenagers between the ages of six and 19 have hearing loss from iPods or oh, earbuds. So from the headphones. So yeah, because yeah, they're yeah, listening to it too loud. Is that, is that what they think it is? Yes. The, the two? Well, yeah, they don't, they don't perceive it as being too loud, but it is too loud for the little time tiny ear canal. Yeah. So, I mean, moms and dads can go over to Best Buy or your local store and they can pick up some earbuds that are designed for pediatric ears that have output limiters. Ah. Yeah. There are things you can do to prevent it. Okay. But remember, it's always a fine line between loudness exposure and time duration. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that they're listening to it at a much, much softer level. It's all about the time over duration. So if they're listening to loud music for four hours, that's going to be worse off if they're listening to a loud, a loud song for three minutes. So it's a lot, the length of time has a bigger impact is what you're saying? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So OSHA would put somebody on a hearing conservation program if they were exposed to 85 decibels or more for their eight hour work shift. And every five decibels you go up, you have to cut your exposure in half. So if you do go to a loud movie or if you do go to a concert, you have to be thinking in terms of loudness times duration. So those little ears with earbuds and the hearables and the iPods and listening to music, stimulation is good. And then too much is not good. So it's, it's, so it's like just everything. like anything in life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we want, we yeah. Want the, we want too the much of a good thing is not a good thing. Yeah. Well, interesting. Well, this is, yeah. this is so, I'm so glad we had this conversation because I said, I get this question a lot. What can I do to prevent dementia? But this seems like a oh. really important, I mean, also, yeah. so so and if someone's in their 50s, 60s or they're entering the, and they're nervous about hearing aids, what can you tell them about? Should they be nervous about hearing aids? Like, I, f- I feel like I hear this a lot. Oh, I don't want to hear. No. I don't want to wear them or my partner doesn't wear them and I need them. 
Can you speak to that? Yeah. yeah, the perception has always been there and it's it's understandable because in the past we've always had hearing aids that were put on a very old individual. That was when they finally could not cope at all. So the hearing aids were always associated with a very older individual. That's not the case anymore. In addition to that, we live in a very noisy world. We're living longer. We're living healthier. And honestly, our baby boomers have really pushed industry. They have voted their causes and they want technology. They want it all. And I love it. So why can't they have it all? Why can't they have a small, cosmetically appealing hearing aid that has all the power and punch of digital hearing aids with noise reduction algorithms and Bluetooth and rechargeable? Absolutely. Well, that's amazing. Why wouldn't you want that? Who wouldn't want that? Yeah, who wouldn't want yeah. that? You've got your personal earbuds. Yeah. Right? And you can hardly see them. It's, you know, we look at these kids walking oh, around with white things sticking out of their ears. You know, big, so big pieces that hurt my ears after a couple of hours. And yet these are customized for your hearing loss and they do everything to stream your cell phone, your podcasts. They can listen to the Dr. Oh, Kinney show, for that plug. their hearing aids as they're out yeah. walking the dog. <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah. So nothing to be scared about there. Yeah. You know, and, and we are fitting much younger. So my population is everywhere from, well, my youngest is seven, my oldest is 101. Wow. But most of my patients are 40s. 50s, 60s, gotcha. and 70s. Yeah. Surprisingly, our noisy industrial society has really got people into products a little bit sooner than we should be. But nonetheless, well, I think it, but it sounds like that's a good thing, yeah, yeah, right? Because yeah. we're going to be preventing other other issues. Right. So super cool. So for my local listeners, if they are interested, can you tell us about your practice and where people can find you if they're interested in working with you? Yeah. So I've been in the Annapolis Edgewater area for almost my entire career. I'm at Hearing and Balance Solutions in Edgewater, Maryland. I just hired a second audiologist. So we have a second option for you in Suburban Park. And yeah, we're just two great audiologists doing a lot of great clinical work. Loving it. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So, and if I have a lot of listeners that aren't local for, for them. If they're looking for someone, is there, where's the best resource for them to go? I mean, should they go through a re referral from their primary care or they go, is there a yes, yes. best resource? Talk to your physician. Got it. I've had physicians tell me before I can make 40 great referrals. And if I make one bad one, I just hear about it forever. So talk to your physician and ask them to refer you to who they would go to or they would refer their parent to. And then don't just let them hand you a slip that says, go get your hearing tested. Because what will happen is you will wind up at dispensers who just want to sell. Mm. And that's the important distinction is you want a good quality baseline from someone like a doctor of audiology who really doesn't want to find hearing loss but is prepared to treat it when they do. Yeah, well, that's a great, that is that is perfect. That's exactly what it's like. So thank you for that tip. I think that'll be really helpful for listeners. Thank you so much. This was amazing information. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys for listening. I hope everyone enjoyed and I'll see you next week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Dr. Kinney Show. Be sure to follow the show and leave a rating and a review. It supports me so much. Plus, I always love hearing from you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll talk to you next week.